0: And it's a continual game, right? Like you and I talked about that Airbnb changes things within their algorithm constantly. And it's our job to stay on top of that. And because it's a positive negative feedback loop, like a review based system, your property is either getting better or it's getting worse. There's no sitting still. And so we had to incorporate that into our original properties and then as we scaled We hit a whole new set of roadblocks as to how it was really tough to continue doing that as we got bigger and had more listings, but that was the key for us. And the key differentiator was how do we do that on a level with 60 properties or 80 or 100, but keep the same attention to detail that we have with our small, single, privately owned investments. That's the difference in what the other companies are doing. And that's really where we found our niche.
1: You want to build financial freedom for your family through real estate investing, but you don't have the time or the money or the knowledge you need to invest. We are busy parents just like you. Each week we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and break it down by how much money it took to get started, how much time it takes and what kind of knowledge it took to get started or why passive investing might be right for you. Join us and let's hit the road to family freedom greetings friends and families i'm neil henderson and you're listening to the road to family freedom podcast i'm welcoming back another guest my good friend clint harris welcome back to the road to family freedom
0: thank you neil it has been a long time i can't believe how long it's been but uh, happy to be here
1: well, i was actually listening to our old podcast this morning in preparation for this one and it, i interviewed you back in february of 2020 and as i like to call it that's the before times
0: yeah, I, I can think of a few little things that have happened since then and a little <laughs> bit of uh, ups and downs that we've both been through. Boy, wow, that was really like a month before the world fell apart, and uh, it's been quite a roller coaster
1: since then. Absolutely. So we interviewed you way back on episode 35, and I highly recommend if anybody has interest in short-term rentals that you go back and listen to Clint's episode back then. He It's a, a graduate-level uh, course on how to uh, start a short-term rental business that's very data-driven and highly recommend it. Like I said, we interviewed him back in February of 2020. And at that time, you were in the midst of renovating a fourplex, I believe in Curry Beach, correct?
0: Yes. The renovation from hell, but I remember it well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, At that point in time, we had uh, just Quickly to get up to that point, we had moved down to Carolina Beach in North Carolina and we bought a upstairs-downstairs duplex and we lived in one half as a house hack. And then um, the first summer we did 57 grand in the other unit and that was kind of a light bulb moment for us. From there, we were out of money, but we, in a roundabout way, um, we didn't know what the word for it was, but we we took on a triplex to do arbitrage. We found a owner with a Really dilapidated triplex with bad tenants in place. He was trying to sell it and had no interest from anybody. Everybody thought it was overpriced. Our opinion was that it was underperforming. So he got rid of the tenants, renovated it. I managed the project. Um we paid him forty-eight let's let's see, thirty three thousand dollars a unit, I believe that first year. So thirty-six thousand dollars for the three units. We did 125k in gross rents and after paying cleaning fees and linen costs, our net was fifty-four. You can imagine the rent went up with him on year two after that. But since then, we took that money and we partnered with my parents to buy that quadplex in Curry Beach, which we did a renovation on. And you and I just pulled the data on that. Uh, We had our first full year of operation was 2021, and we did $170,176 in gross rents in that quadplex.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, And that's 100% short-term rental, correct?
0: That's 100% short-term rentals. And also the full month of December was blocked out for us to go in and um, do some more maintenance and fix things up. We wanted to take the slow part of the year. But yeah, that's 100% short-term rentals. We don't take any winter rentals or anything like that. And since then, we took money from the first few properties. We had that quadplex. We went in and bought another Ocean Access quadplex. It's four 550-square-foot, one-bedroom, one-bath units right on the the best surfing spot on the island yeah and continue to scale from there
1: okay well we're primarily going to talk about scaling here but uh so that people have an understanding of where you were and now where you are can you recall back then in february 2020 how many units under management you had
0: uh just a handful at that point in time we've had a major shift since then at that point in time i think we had the triplex duplex and then that quadplex So that was just nine units at the time. Then we went on and bought another quadplex. We took that arbitrage triplex and secured it through owner financing. And we actually split a two bedroom unit in there and turned that into a quadplex. So we're sitting on 14 units that we own. And I think that all happened after our interview in February. And since then we've had a major shift and um, we took our level of scaling up to that point was going really rapidly. Um, And then we just decided to take it to the next level and start a property management company, which I swore I would never do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. I I do remember. I'm sitting there listening to that this morning, and I think I asked you how many uh, units you were co-hosting. We said, no, we don't co-host. We only manage our own (laughs) units, and that's just, I don't want to do that. That's just a job.
0: Well, so (laughs) the same way that taking on arbitrage properties is is not my end goal. Arbitrage creates a lot of cash flow, but that's it. When you own the property, you get cash flow, you get equity pay down, you get natural and forced appreciation from being a nice property in a nice area that you fixed up that has a maximized rental history. You also get the tax benefits that come along with that. Arbitrage is just a vehicle to make more money so that I can turn around and buy more properties. And it turns out, We did, in fact, add on a few more arbitrage units after that. The neighbor next door has a duplex that we took on through arbitrage. We've got two other friends that bought oceanfront condos here that wanted to do arbitrage as well. So we have other arbitrage units that we make cash flow off of. But one thing we ran into is my wife is a full-time realtor here on the island, and she and a lot of other realtors were getting frustrated with every time they sell a property, they send somebody a referral to a property manager, and those people came back disenfranchised because that old model of property management here has always been manage two, three, four hundred properties. And the companies from the company standpoint, if it rents out, it rents out. If it doesn't, it doesn't, they can make up for it with volume. The numbers we were getting on our units by using a very data driven approach were astronomically higher than anybody else around. And so because of that, we were getting pressure to and push to do property management. Eventually we did decide to do that. And for me, that's another vehicle where we can just generate tremendous revenue to turn around and reinvest into ownership. Okay.
1: You know, we talk a lot about um, the different strategies of short term rentals. There's basically three, as I look at it there's buy and rent out, um, there's arbitrage, and then there's co hosting mm-hmm. or property management, which you have now done all three. Yep. So, now how many units would you say you're up to under management now? You were about 14.
0: That was, yep, 14 units um, that we either owned or were under arbitrage at the time. We started property management. I have a partner that I was on that first arbitrage deal with. His name is Sean McLean. He's awesome. He and his wife, Christine, partnered with my wife, Abby, and I, we started a property management company along with a couple other realtors. We really thought that we were going to have to advertise and bring in realtors as partners to help get us referrals. The reality is that we were pretty wrong about that. And after we had a handful of properties operating and could also show the numbers from our properties, things kind of took off like wildfire. So we scaled in just a couple months in terms of properties that we managed, we went from zero to 20, In just three or four months. At that point in time, Sean, my partner, quit his job as a chiropractor and went full-time as the operations manager for the company. Um, Then we quickly jumped from 20 to 30, and we were playing catch-up and hiring cleaning teams and staff and things like that. We got to 40 properties, and we capped. It took us about probably six months to get to 40. Hard cap at 40. And then just reworking everything, making sure that our systems were automated and streamlined the messaging, the work orders, the owner statements. We hired bookkeepers. And at that point in time we had the revenue to do that. We're hitting a you know our original target goal was to make eight to twelve thousand dollars net profit per property that we brought on. Now in that we have a unit density mix of some small properties and some large properties because we're looking for turnover that's gonna be year round so that we can keep our cleaners booking year round. Because even though in the off season, the average daily rate comes down, the cleaning fee stays the same. So if I have small properties and specifically all the properties I own are duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes, small multifamily, I turn those really quickly so I can keep my cleaners working through the year. And that creates some stability that we were able to springboard off of. Once we got to 40 properties and we hard capped for a while, a lot of our owners were really happy and started buying more investment properties, and we weren't going to turn them down. Um, They were great partners, and we were very careful about selecting properties and owners that we wanted to work with for the long term. So unintentionally, we got to 50 properties, and then at that point in time, we cut loose a few of our properties that were kind of problem properties, people that just... You know, some noise pollution issues. One property that was continually flooding, and the people, they could have just gone in and spent five to $10,000 in taking care of the property. Instead, they were trying to spend a couple hundred dollars every time. It wasn't a great fit. So we found them another manager and and made a clean handoff. So we got to 50, kind of, we kind of scaled down a little bit, and then we scaled back up. We got 60 properties. We hard capped again. We opened an office. We opened a linen facility. We tried to, in terms of the vertical integration of the laundry, we tried to buy a laundromat this past year and just couldn't pull it off. And it was not feasible to build a new one because of the tap fees and the cost of propane on an island. It's, we don't have natural gas here. So we opened up an office. We opened up a linen facility. We just, a couple weeks ago, um, we're going to continue to scale. We brought on several new managers that have been training for several months. We feel comfortable now bringing on another small portfolio property. So at the moment, we're at 64
1: all right. So you're 64 total units under management and you are either owner or part owner of 14 of those.
0: Yep. That's correct. Partnered on uh, quadplex with my parents. And then I have a partner on our ocean access quadplex as well. So um, yeah, 14 units under ownership and then a total of 64 at the moment that we own. And then we're also starting electric vehicle rental service. that's going to be incorporated into that as well
1: over the next year. I love that. I've already expressed my interest in that as well. So you've got 50 uh, units that you're managing. At the moment,
0: yeah. And we've got several in the yeah, that's a that's a tough question to answer because we always have some in the pipeline. We've got properties that are either under contract and the people are going to turn over to us or there's tenants in place and they're getting the tenants out or they're doing a renovation. There's always several in the pipeline and we usually have three to six a month that are coming on board um, somewhere in the pipeline of things and then we have people that have properties and they want to come stay in them for a couple months in the off season because that's not really a revenue generating time for them so we never limit the amount of time that our owners can come stay in the property so yeah somewhere in flux right now operating we've got like 64 and um, now that we've kind of taken the limits off for right now and we're onboarding some more i would expect that by springtime we'll probably be in the 80s
1: yeah so you went from 14, or, or or let's just let's forget the ones that you owned, but you went from zero under management to 50 in just under two years. Uh,
0: yeah, actually, in probably about 14 months, and then we cut back some, and then reevaluated the types of properties that were best for us for the unit density that we needed to keep our workers working year-round, and then maximum profitability with the least amount of work. Um, so yeah, that's about right.
1: And I, I can say, my belief in why you guys have been able to scale so quickly is because you're doing this a lot better than the competition on the island. And I'm speaking from person. This is also I just realized it's also a, the first interview I've ever done in person of any person of anyone. From-
0: <laughs> you know, I've done quite a few uh, podcasts. Uh- in different formats, and this is the first time for me as well. So, yeah,
1: yes. and it's, <laughs> yeah. God, your eyes are so dreamy blue. Listen, like, don't get Harris lost.
0: boys. I get it. I'm late for work for 10 <laughs> minutes every day. I get lost in these brushing my teeth. Careful, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> Keep your eyes on your monitor.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we now live here in Carolina Beach, North mm-hmm. Carolina. Uh, moved all the way across the country because, uh, a large part, because of uh, Clint and Abby Harris. We like their act. Wanted to uh, come and see what they're all about. We bought a property and rented it out as a short-term rental uh, over the summer, this last summer of 2021. And our experience, we it had existing management in place, um, very old-school management, I would say, um, and yeah. not. I would very definitely say not data-driven. Especially, I recall uh, when they when they were excited to tell me that they thought our property was going to make thirty-five thousand dollars this year. And when I ran the numbers for a property that was almost identical, further away from the beach, but closer to the tiki bar, and it did $85,000 last year. And I showed that to them and they ignored me. They didn't say a word about it. Not to say that what you guys aren't doing is amazing, but if that's a level of your competition, then it's in my mind, probably not all that hard to kick their butts
0: I completely agree and you're exactly right. It really has nothing to do with us and how intelligent we are or what we're doing that's anything different. I think most of the traditional companies here have never held themselves accountable and they've never had a report card as to how good they're doing because they're looking at the other bad management strategies that people are using and if they're equal to them or a little bit better, they feel good about it. AirDNA is the data source that we originally started using, but now that we've got a handful of properties, we've kind of become our own data source. The benefit of a data-driven approach is that when you can look at every short-term rental on the island that's happened over the last 365 days, you're building expectations for yourself, and that's a median projection, and we want to beat that median projection every time. Yes, we own a property management company, but we're investors first, right? And our job is to look for value delta in the performance we can get out of a property, which is significantly greater than the cost of the property when we get into it That for generating that value. So essentially, I think the traditional property management companies around have always been able to make up for it with volume, where we're in a position where we use a data-driven approach. We can use other people's past performance, their mistakes and the things that they've done right, and try to formulate, okay, okay, Airbnb is a positive, negative feedback loop. People literally tell you what they like. They literally tell you what they don't. And so when we use that with our original properties, everything from the LED daylight bulbs, the LVP flooring, the mattresses, the linens, everything was based upon what people like more than anything else. And it's a continual game, right? Like you and I've talked about that Airbnb changes things within their algorithm constantly. And it's our job to stay on top of that. And because it's a positive negative feedback loop, like a review-based system, your property is either getting better or it's getting worse. There's no sitting still. And so we had to incorporate that into our original properties. And then as we scaled we hit a whole new set of roadblocks as to how it was really tough to continue doing that as we got bigger and had more listings, but that was the key for us. And the key differentiator was how do we do that on a level with 60 properties or 80 or 100, but keep the same attention to detail that we have with our small, single, you know, privately owned investments. That's the difference in what the other companies are doing. And that's really where we found our niche.
1: Gotcha. Are there any KPIs that you guys are consistently tracking?
0: The We're looking at the occupancy. So you're asking at a tricky time, right? Because COVID happened in March of 2020. We had 60 days where we shut down. Nobody knew it was going to be 60 days, but short-term rentals shut down on the island. We had 28 grand worth of bookings come in in a 12-hour period. So the occupancy has shifted dramatically. The average daily rate has shifted dramatically. So the key performance indicators have kind of been really up and down over the last year or two because of what's been happening with the market. But essentially what I'm looking at is occupancy on the island and making sure that we're beating that with our units. One of the things that I look at is our management software shows us the number of clicks per listing that we have. We started using a pricing software that helps us adjust our pricing based upon what's happening in the market. But I got away from that a little bit. It took us a long time to find one that was actually telling us to go up on prices. We were typically kind of leading the charge there. One of the things that a KPI that I was looking at was the amount of traffic on each of our listings. And pre-COVID, during our busy time of the year, we were averaging 900 to 1100 clicks on each one of our listings per month. So call it a thousand clicks per listing. And of that, we had a pass-through rate of around three to 4%. So out of those thousand people, 30 to 40% of people would book. Now, obviously they can't all book in the next month, but sometimes, sometime in the next three to four or six months, 30 to 40 out of those thousand people are booking up. Once COVID happened and we shut down, and then we opened back up, and everybody had been cooped up for a long time, um, that average amount of traffic jumped from a thousand clicks per month to forty five hundred, and it was a massive shift and a lot more people using short term rentals before. And one thing that we looked at when we were getting inquiries from people, the questions used to be, "Hey, is it pet friendly? How close is it to the beach? Do you provide beach chairs?" And all of a sudden, the questions are, um, "Hey, is there a workstation? How good is the internet?" Can my kid do school remotely? Can my husband and I work remotely, right? So we're starting listening to the the market. And all of a sudden, the average length of stay it went from two point eight guests for an average stay of three point six days to an average of six point six days. Like for it to jump from three point six to four and a half across fifteen hundred rental units is a big deal. For it to jump to six point six is astronomical. So all of a sudden. Our units that had washers and dryers started doing significantly better and most of them do i'm talking about specifically my small multifamily. a lot of you know beach bungalows and surf shacks may not have that but all of a sudden we saw the ones that did have that the average length of stay jumps up and that means less of your gross is going towards the cleaning fees because the length of stay may have doubled or tripled sometimes so in situations like that like we had to listen to the market we go put in washers and dryers we make sure there's a workstation we pull out our little coffee reading nook we put in a desk and a lamp and a charger. My cousin came down from Raleigh not long ago and was like, you know, I wanted, I told you, I was like, man, I told you you could stay at one of our units. He's like, yeah. He's like, but I really wanted someplace with a Tesla charger. I looked around like crazy and could not find a place. And I was like, say that again. And I was like, okay, so it's 650 bucks for the equipment. And then another three or 400 bucks to get it installed depending on where the electrical box is. So electric vehicle charging stations is something that we're putting in as well. So. I'm looking at at key performance indicators in terms of what are the people doing? What are they looking at? What's the occupancy on our properties? Are we beating the average? Where are we winning? Where are we losing? But I'm also trying to listen to the market and be our own data source. Look back through all of our messages. What are people asking for? What are people looking for? And things like that. Gotcha. All right.
1: So you've scaled from the 14 units that you owned back in... February of 2020. What would you say are the top three challenges that a short-term rental uh, investor, whether they are purchasing or co-hosting or Mm -hmm. rental arbitrage that they face when they're scaling?
0: So this is really important because in my opinion, there's so much value to be created through short-term rentals. Like That's why there's a massive gold rush to get into short-term rentals because there's so much more value to be created than long-term rentals or multifamily or anything else. So along with that, you can get in there and you can get, you know, a handful of arbitrage properties or two or three that you own or manage, and you can make good money and you can coast and you can stay there if you want to. That's not the journey for me. For me, the journey is you need to get a lot farther along than that and bring on as many properties as you can, as fast as you can scale as fast as you can so that you generate tremendous revenue that you can turn around and use towards ownership or investing into a different market and do things that have less inherent risk. But in that process of scalability, the challenges that we ran into all were in the form of going from a small portfolio of properties that I managed myself, that we had one cleaner or sometimes two cleaners on and we had complete continuity. Right? The communication was there, texting back and forth. We had automated software that handled most of the messaging. It handled the schedule with the cleaners. Once we start scaling, one of the early mistakes we made is that we were quick to hire and slow to fire in terms of bringing on cleaning teams. So we would bring on a new cleaner. We have really high standards because we looked at the data and we could see that people really prefer having a bed that's already made, having a really clean unit. So we had really, really high standards. And because of that, it was hard for our cleaners to meet our standards. And now we pay them really well. But a lot of times if we had a cleaner working for us and some of the other companies where all they have to do is go drop the linens on the bed in a garbage bag and people are expected to make their own beds. Like that's easier for them. Right. In a property like that, it's not a big deal if there's dust bunnies under the bed. Like it is what it is. and Like that's kind of what you sign up for when you rent from that company or you rent that property. Well, that's not how we roll. So we hold people to a significantly higher standard. Sometimes if they came in and they weren't hitting our standard right off the bat, we were like, okay, well, we'll train them and we'll get them there. The reality is we had to switch and we had to learn how to be slow to hire and quick to fire You can come on board, you can try, you can work with some of our teams, you can see what we do, and if you can do it, you can do it. If you can't, you can't. No hard feelings, best of luck. That was something that in maintaining that standard was something that we had to learn that was really important, and also a lot of times as you scale and you get bigger and bigger and you start having different cleaners that are in different properties at different times, there are things that come up that you may get a ding here and there and get a three or four star review for something that they're saying something wasn't clean when it may have been more of a maintenance issue. For instance, like we had a property that over time the grout in the shower was getting gray and black and the cleaners were cleaning as best they could and it just wasn't coming out because we had different cleaners in there every time they were hitting it but it wasn't coming out and they couldn't tell that it was progressively getting a little worse over time. We have hard water here, right? So that's what it was, but the cleaners were different every time. So they couldn't tell us that's what was happening. Or we may have an AC vent. We're oceanfront here on a lot of our property. So it may have a little rust on it and that might be getting worse over time. So we found that there were things that were more than a cleaner's responsibility that were being missed. So we had to hire a quality control person. So we hired a realtor and she's in our properties five to eight hours a week is what she works for us. She bounces around to each property. She's in every property at least once a month, every property before any owner's visit. And she's looking, she's walking in, she's checking to make sure all the light bulbs work. She's checking to make sure the batteries and the door locks are good. She's looking at, she's changing out all the, the air filters and writing the date on the new one. She's looking in for water spots in the ceiling or AC covers or anything we might have. And if we need to go in there, we need to have, bring somebody in with a Dremel to Dremel out all the grout in a shower and redo the whole thing. Fine, we'll do it because that's our standard, right? So that quality control person, as we scale and ha- didn't have the ability to be in every property the way that I used to with my personal properties, is something that we really had to work on. So we've just found that there's more positions in our company that we have to hire. Another thing she does that's really been helpful is Airbnb is constantly changing the amenities list and things like that. So when she's walking into a property, she's got a two page checklist and she goes into these properties and she looks around at everything with the property. While she's there, she's also pulling up the listing. She's looking at the whole description looking to see if anything needs to be changed. She's looking at the amenities list, Few things that have changed recently. There's three different type of coffee machines now. So she can go in and select, is it a drip machine? Is it a French press? Is it this, is it whatever? Now you can get into the property, you can pull up and you can say that you have high speed internet, which is extremely important in this day and age. But now you can actually get in and through the app, you can run a high speed internet test through the app on site at that location. So that's something she's doing as well which is extremely important she's also looking through the pictures if any piece of furniture has been changed or anything like that we need to get a new picture so those are things that she's constantly doing and then on the back end all of our cleaners are only allowed to clean on our listings full vertical integration there you can't leave and go clean for somebody else it's so like you take all of our properties on you're awesome if you do great we'll give you more if you're struggling we'll take a couple back if we don't get it corrected We'll let you go, but we'll try to help you find something else. Um, And then we control our linens. We open an office. We've got our own linen facility. So just complete and total vertical integration there. That's the only way you're going to be able to scale and maintain the same quality. And the quality is your differentiating factor. But, you know, when we're talking about getting to 40, 50, 60 properties where you're averaging around $10,000 gross profit per unit, you can put that money back into the property and still do just fine. And once you get, I think that your first 20 properties is way harder than the next 10. Those 30 properties, I think once you get to 40, after that, it's pretty smooth sailing. Because at 40, you're really forced to take a hard look at yourself and figure out everything that you need to do. And after that, you've either done it right or done it wrong. And for me, doing it right meant putting the right people into place that could handle those issues. And then those people make it very easy to go from 40 to 60 and hopefully beyond.
1: All right. So it sounds like a lot of it just involves pe- I mean, it's people is yes. <laughs> you're, you're going to have to, unless you, you know, as <clears throat> we talked about way back in February of 2020, when you said you were not going to do management because <laughs> you didn't want it to be a job. Right. And so you really had to very, very f- approach it very, in a very focused manner of this is a business correct that that I'm going to run I'm not going to I'm not going to work in it
0: so my job was to work on the business and not in the business I was putting everything in place because my goal is not to do property management I've got an operating partner for that my goal is to have a bunch of real estate that I own that I know is being managed at a very high level because I own the management company that's owning it. Again, full vertical integration. So for me, there's a transformative moment when we were looking at all this and it was how am I gonna do this? Or how are we gonna do this? Or how is Sean gonna do this? Or, and it was all these questions and it's just one figuring out one thing after the other nonstop. I read the book called Who Not How. And it, it was a transformative moment for me because I realized that I don't have to figure out how to do all these things if I can figure out who can do these things better than I can, which is not saying much, then I can try to find that person and put that person in place. So Sean was operating when we got to 20 properties, he went full-time. And then when we got to like 28 or 30 properties, we brought on a manager named Tori. She's amazing. And from there we've expanded, hired my brother in the company. He moved here and is working as a manager as well. We hired Lindsay as quality control. We've got, at this point, I think, The number of teams has changed. See between six or eight teams, but we've got sixteen cleaners and a couple cleaning managers, and they just constantly manage those teams. And and, um, depending on what the current needs are and things like that, but those people are better operators than I am. For each of our properties, we've got a master file at our office that has multiple sets of the electronic door code. It also has the list of when the last time the batteries were changed. It has the backup keys. We have backup keys hidden on location. It has the AC unit, you know, the size and the model. It's got where all the air filters in the property are located. It's got the fire, you know, where all the fire alarms are when the batteries were changed, where the water shut off on the street is, where the electrical panel is. I didn't do any of that Tori did that because she's like, this is a need. This is how we need to do this. So she came up with a master protocol of when we bring on a property and I'm in there talking with the owners and walking through how we do things or how we get paid out and how they get paid out or I'm looking over the data with them. She's stomping around the property, coming up with pages and pages worth of information so that we know that inside and out. And the owners can't answer most of her questions. It's pretty in-depth stuff. A lot of times they just bought the property. And then when we got to quality control, there's a two-page checklist that we go through there. I didn't create that. Lindsay created that because we described what we were trying to accomplish. Um, and I'd known her for several years before, and I was just like, listen, I think you need to come work with us. I think this is something you'd be really good at. Um she looked it over and like immediately grabbed it and ran with it and created the protocol that has become part of our system now all that is compiled together and we own the system right it's all there but instead of having a how am i going to do each of these different little things it was a who do we have that could do this better than i can and the people that we chose were fantastic and so because of that that made scalability really quick and at this point I don't have anything at all to do with the daily operations. I have oversight just to try to make sure the new people that we bring in, um, they're being trained appropriately, customer service is where it needs to be. We already are going to have to expand our linen facility in the next couple months. So I'm, I'm talking to the contractors and making sure, look, we got to cut through the foundation and add another drain line or run some more 220 lines and things like that. Like I can do broad stroke things like that, but at this point, I'm completely hands-off. And that's just a testament to the team that we have, the data-driven approach that we had that was extremely profitable so that we can take that profit, put it back into the company, and pay the people that are high-level operators.
1: Got it. I want to circle back to the cleaning. Do you prefer to hire people who are experienced short-term rental cleaners or do you prefer to hire somebody who's just a cleaner and then train them?
0: So... We have had more success with people that have not done it before that can come in and they can see our standard and like this is the way that it needs to be done and this is what our expectations are. When we've had people from other companies, there's usually been some growing pains because we expect a lot. We've had people that they're not hitting the mark and so we have discussions about that. We try to make corrections and if they're really defensive and it's not how they've done it before, then it's probably not going to work out. A lot of times if they are willing to look at the money that we're willing to pay them, which is more than anybody else is willing to, and the stability that we can give them by working year-round, and that we're trying to invest in these people and create a long-term solution, and we want to hear from them. If they've got pain points, tell us. We're working on it. We're all growing together. Um, so if they're collaborative and things like that, then, yeah, we can. there's a good chance we can make it out as long as they're not short-sighted on how fast they can get their Saturday or Sunday turnovers done and, and get out of there. That's not what we're looking for. The most success that we've had is having our handful. We've got a husband and wife couple, and then two other cleaning managers that kind of operate their own teams. And then there's a couple teams outside of that, but those people are awesome and they're connected really well. Derek and Miranda are kind of our go-to husband and wife team that just seem to endlessly be able to find talent and hold a, a high standard. And again, It's a who not how situation. We don't have to go find cleaners. We just had to find people that could go find cleaners for us. And then ultimately, it's it's not our standard anymore. It is, but it isn't. It's Derek and Miranda's standard. They bought into what we're doing. They're the ones that when we built a linen facility, it was, look, tell us what we need. What do you need show me i want to give you everything that that you need to get this done efficiently and anytime we're experimenting with quilt covers versus duvets or this and that and the other it's like hey miranda look this is what we're thinking what are your thing and she'll be like all right give me two weeks let me just i'm going to throw it at the cleaners and see what they think let's get some feedback let's go from there right so i don't have to figure a lot of that stuff out or sean doesn't or whoever's in charge of the project i am at this point being introduced to the new cleaners but When I say new, sometimes they've been with us for six months or more. Like we've got some continuity. We've got some loyalty. We're trying to invest in the people and and give stability. And it seems to be working out because that's something else that they were, if anybody has worked for any of the other traditional property management companies, it's not something they were getting there. Those people will burn through you quickly. And that's not what we're going for. I really believe that the cream rises to the top. So we're trying to find the people that are good at their job and then treat them with respect. Don't overwork them. Pay them well. And uh, we're trying to go take this a long ways. So I think that's the way to do it.
1: Well, speaking from experience, somebody who has, you know, managed uh, one or two short-term rentals, but at a very much smaller level, you're going to run across two things. One is you can't just have one cleaner, even if, uh, you know, even if you are only managing one unit. Because inevitably, and this is something that Brittany and I experienced when we just had our little one unit in Las Vegas, is everything's a great. Everything's great until your cleaner's not available and there's turnover, or your cleaner, you know, your cleaner gets sick, or you know, your cleaner just gets tired and doesn't want to do it anymore, and just literally, you know, one day tell, calls you the week before you get three turnovers. Hey, I'm done. <laughs> you know, so you 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 know, you've done this. You had to build not just a couple of cleaners you had to build multiple cleaning teams yeah. even if with even with probably just 14 units back when sure. you before you had you know 64 units
0: yeah we had multiple different teams going i would say as you scale it really does get easier if you have five to ten short-term rental units like when we jump from one to four and then jump to ten pretty quickly It got really easy because we found a management software that really helped streamline and automate the messages and stuff like that. But you're still dealing with a lot of, it gets hectic dealing with the cleaners and getting them in and out and things like that. If you're at that level, like five to 10, like. It's gonna get a little bit more hectic as you grow to like 20, but once you get some redundancy in your cleaning teams and if you work on the systems on the back end of making sure that anytime anybody books, the amount of people and the number of days that they're staying gets sent out to the cleaners and they know when they're checking out and so they know what to expect in terms of how dirty is it gonna be if there were two people versus eight people or whatever and is it a pet friendly unit, things like that. And you can manage expectations a little bit. It gets easier. The bigger you get, honestly, it, it's smoother, and you have redundancy. At this point, in terms of redundancy, we've got a lot of different units, but we got a lot of different cleaning teams. You talk about a tough time to manage short-term rentals. Man, Omicron has been wreaking havoc in our community, and we've got people in and out constantly. Either they're either they're sick or feeling sick and need to go get tested. And obviously, it, there's we don't want those people in any of our units, and we're following enhanced COVID protocol. But still, like we have to. Just roll with the punches here. It's what we're all dealing with. So there's that, but at the same time, as we've opened up a linen facility, now I've got people that even if we don't have enough cleanings for them, which we do pretty well with that. I don't think we're, you know, we have a little bit of a lull in the wintertime, but because of our smaller units, we can still keep people going. But now if people need more hours, they can go do linens for us and just work in the facility. So typically what we're doing is you know, that the hours of doing our short-term rentals is the checkout is at 10, the next check-in is at four. So we've got that window to kind of rush out and turn all over the properties, especially like on Fridays and Sundays, right? Because people are always checking in on Friday and always checking out on a Sunday. So there's a lot of turnover on some days, but some of the other days there's a lull. Well, right now we have between 12 and 15,000 pounds of linens a month that previously we were paying a dollar a pound for at a laundromat. So if we can bring that in-house, that's twelve dollars to $15,000 in revenue that we can keep in-house if we're vertically integrated. We can take a chunk of that and pay it out hourly to anybody that wants to work. And if it's odd hours outside of regular cleaning turnover times, that works out great. So it helps us with that keeping people employed and keeping some stability and things like that. But it does get easier as you get bigger.
1: Well, and I, I can say that, you know, the traditional, you know, some starting off with short-term rentals, you know, one of the things you'll be told as well, you need to have um, three of everything as far as linens, you know, three top sheets, three fitted sheets, um, you know, three sets of towels for, you know, every, however many guests or whatever. I can tell you it gets a lot more complicated yes. when, when you've got multiple units yes. and, and, where you have a larger property that either you've got a small property that doesn't have on-site laundry, or you've got a larger property that can't handle, even with big washer dryer, it can't handle doing all the linens that you need to do in the time that the cleaning team needs to be in and out of there. That's right. So that's why you're having to look at either renting linens, which I think is one thing you've done in the past, or having the, the owner rent the linens, or you've looked at buying or creating your own laundromat.
0: So we've, we've looked at it several different ways. We realized very quickly you're not going to be able to do it on site because you have no idea how much linen has been used or it just it wasn't feasible to do it on site, get it done in a timely manner. You'd have to have people running back and forth between properties and some of the old the dryers are worse than others and things like that. There was no continuity. So when we started off, the easiest pivot for us was to partner with a laundromat. And so we shopped around several different laundromats and found anywhere from a $1.50 to a $1.25 a pound, you know, for a laundromat and things like that. And then we did experiment with, there's a, a company where you can rent linens from them for $1.50 a pound, they come drop them off, but they won't make the beds or anything like that. So they're just dropping them off. There was no continuity with when they were going to get there with them. They would tell us a window, but our cleaners are there ready to make the beds, turn the property over there, and then they're dropping them off late. It just wasn't going to work out really well that way. So We needed more vertical integration and to be in control of that. And the way that we did that was we just had to bring it all in-house. And we're actually in the process of making another shift. So originally we had three sets of linens for just about everything. We got to the point that we got to two sets. We would ask the owners to buy those. (coughs) So originally they would have a couple sets of linens for each bed and then We've gotten to the point now where we've experimented with different things. We had all white quilt covers. Then we switched to using gray quilt covers. We've got hard water here. The gray started to fade over time. Wasn't a great look. So we're going back to white. And we're about to make a shift where originally we would ask the owners to buy those. Sometimes we would pay for them up front and just take it out of the first one or two owner statements for properties that we manage. We're about to make another shift and we're going to start providing the linens ourselves and just rent them to the guests for each individual stay. And right now we already do that. So the way that we do it is we have, let's say that you're coming to a property and it's got 40 pounds of linens in that property between bath towels, dish towels, you know, bath mat and all the sheets, quilt covers, everything like that. We have it broken down. We weighed each individual piece of linen. So when we put a property together, we know exactly how many pounds of linen are in there and the way that's what you pay for, right? Go to a laundromat or our linen facility. You wash it, dry it, fold it, then you weigh it. And that's where the weight and the price comes from. So let's say that you've got a guest coming to stay for five days and it's, you know, 40, 50 pounds say 50 pounds of linen. Right. So basically what you're going to do is you're going to take that $50 and you're going to spread it out. So when they go to book those days and they choose a five day stay behind the scenes, our software adds $10 a day to the price to factor in the cost of linens. We don't want to lump it on the cleaning fee because then they're going to see our cleaning fees astronomically higher than the one next door, right? So we build it into the price. If they're staying for 10 days, it would take that same 50 bucks and it would increase the cost per day by $5. And it just smooths it across the length of their stay because we just don't want it to show up as another line item. So what we're going to do is we're probably going to spend $10,000 to $20,000 to buy all new linens in bulk, high quality linens for all of our listings. And then we're just gonna start stocking them ourselves. Cause right now, if there's a hole in a towel and we don't see it till it's after it's been cleaned or something like that, we can't go back and charge anybody for that. And I don't wanna to talk to my owners about that, and be like, hey, you need to buy another quilt cover. We would rather just eat that and make it easy that if we see a problem, we can trash it, pull another one off of our shelf and keep on rolling. And we're gonna buy the linens and then basically rent them out for you know a dollar a pound to the guests, just build that in. And then that's what our linen facility will charge, and then we pay a fraction of that because we're paying hourly to our workers who are in there doing a couple thousand pounds of linens at a time. Gotcha.
1: And you have not yet found a solution for the laundromat, have you? Because you were, you've got, you just recently got some commercial space here on the island. That's right. Um, and you wanted to put a laundromat in there, but you can't get. So we
0: tried to buy laundromat. a laundromat here, and it was a problem. First of all, a lot of the machines were in rough condition and the owner didn't want to sell. She's actually going to build a new laundromat with condos above the next door and get rid of the old one. So it just wasn't going to work there. So then we looked at building one and it was that bacon lot over by the food line. I don't know if you knew that, yeah. but the problem there is that the tap fees on the Island are really, really astronomical. We also have really hard water, which is hard on the machinery. And then we don't have propane and commercial, traditional commercial dryers are all on propane and we don't have natural gas on the Island. So there was some barriers to entry there. We were going to have to go over the bridge which kind of defeated the purpose of what we were trying to do, especially when we're incorporating the Moke vehicle rentals, they can't go over the bridge. So we got to stay close for that. So at that point in time, we pivoted and put the linen facility in that we have. My idea was like, look, if we've got 12,000, 15,000 pounds of linens every month, that's enough. If you have a wash and fold in the back of a laundromat, that's enough to cover your fixed overhead. And then anybody that walks in off the street to use the brick and mortar laundromat is all profitability. I'm not done with that. We, it, we might look at you know potentially buying or building a laundromat closer to Monkey Junction in the next year or two. But for now, that's not the way that we're diversifying outside of short-term rentals. Okay.
1: All right. What's next on the short-term rental front for Salt and Soul, correct?
0: Yeah. So we're making a little bit of a pivot. And we're going to bring on a small portfolio of luxury properties to build a, a little bit of a portfolio portfolio but our ambition is to try to, uh, we'd like to buy a hotel. And we looked at a couple of them this year. Our goal is to buy some kind of hotel and convert to invisible service, Airbnb style a la carte where schedule early check-in or late check-out. You pay for that through your phone, schedule your cleaning. Basically take the data-driven approach for everything that we've done and streamline and automated. You buy a hotel. You don't have to have anyone on site, so you have reduced fixed overhead from not having an on-site staff person. We've already got the infrastructure to clean it and take care of it. A lot of times you can take the office and convert it into another unit since we don't have to have someone on site. So that's what we'd like to do. We'd like to create a brand around that. And then You know, at some point, I think that short-term rentals comes with inherent risk between whether it's a pandemic or hurricanes, things like that. So the next step for us after that is expanding in real estate off of the island.
1: Okay, so... It leads into my next question. So what are the best places to invest in short-term rentals today? Now I can't provide someone with a, a list. You know, I'm sure there's probably articles out there left and right, but I think they change they would change by the month. So what I'd sort of like to go is if you were forced to start over today in a new market and you could not invest in the market you're currently in how would you go about researching and picking a new potential market to invest in? And what tools would you use?
0: So you're right, there are a lot of resources on this. I tend to think that if they have made it to a big list, then it's probably really well picked over. You know, AirDNA is obviously the the most common data source that people use, and it's still the best benchmark data that we have available. However, it's the most widely used data that we have available. So anything that's on there is going to be pretty well picked over. What you're looking for is like, they might have the top areas as say Nashville, Tennessee or Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge or, or whatever it may be. You're looking for an area where there's sneaky performance there that people may not be aware of that hasn't driven up the price of the listings yet. Because you got to go in and buy or arbitrage and hopefully turn that into owner financing or whatever you're going to do. That's the value delta is that you need that cash flow, but you also want the appreciation from getting the property for less than it's worth after it's a maximize and optimize Airbnb. So one of the sneaky things that I have seen in the last year or two is, um, and I'll use Fort Jackson in Columbia, South Carolina as an example, but this is happening all over. Looking at military bases that have a high graduating rate from their soldiers, uh, Fort Jackson in Columbia, South Carolina graduates a class of soldiers every Saturday of the year every single weekend and there are little ranch style houses around there for that used to be you know the prices are already going up because the cat's kind of out of the bag in that city because a bunch of people jumped on it but like these properties used to be 150 170 grand and they would rent out for you know 1100 bucks a month something like that well now you can turn a three bed two bath ranch style house close to the base in in Columbia, South Carolina and put a grill in the backyard and all of a sudden these things are renting for, you know, you're going to have them rented out Thursday through Sunday every weekend of the entire year for, you know, 200 to 300 bucks a night. So all of a sudden you're getting $1,000 per weekend with the same property you used to get $1,000 a month. Um, that is not a vacation destination. It's not something people think about. So what you're looking for is... transient population in and out of a market that's being overlooked. And it doesn't have to be vacation rentals. It can be, um, you know, I think a military base is really, really a great place to look. And then obviously sports venues and things like that. But um, that's something that I've seen recently, like you would never expect. In fact, you know, you've got property in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I've got property in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I did a 1031 exchange into a Burr property there to avoid the taxes so that I could buy more multifamily down here. So I own a property up there. A lot of the investors in Fayetteville right now are converting houses that you would never think of as a short-term rental before and turning them into Airbnbs. And the reason that market works is not because it's a super high-performing Airbnb market. It's because the properties are really cheap and that But the money that you can make there as a short-term rental is still significantly higher than what you get for long-term rent. That creates a value delta. That value delta is where you have opportunity. And what's going to happen is, over time, the prices are going to continue to go up until they match what it should be based upon the amount of income that it comes in. Or potentially, the market's going to flood with Airbnbs. And so many people are going to be doing it that the supply is greater than the demand. And for that, you have to look at, you know, who's in that market, look at the air DNA data and all that. But even if that happens, the early adapters are going to be insulated because this is a review based system. The people that got in and did it first, the super hosts that have the most reviews, the properties that have the most reviews and the first people to convert over, they're always going to be on the top of page one. Right. And so and the market may flood. Eventually, people are going to realize that it's not worth the hassle, and they're not making that much money because the supply is so much greater than the demand. And they're going to go back to doing long term. But those people that were the first ones to do short term are going to continue to thrive and do well. And so, in that situation, that's an example of you can look at Air DNA, you can look at an Airbnb article about the top markets here or top markets there and things like that. And usually, what they're looking at is just the the revenue produced by the property. If it's showing up on a list somewhere, usually it's reflected in the purchase price. So you want to look for some kind of transient population and find a place where there's still a delta between the value that the property brings in and what you have to pay to get into the listing.
1: So what what I'm basically hearing you saying, and I completely agree, which is that you need to think beyond just the traditional vacation market. You need to think about who you're going to, what kind of customer you're going to serve. There are successful short-term rentals that are not catering to vacationing families. Absolutely, There are, like you said, military bases. There are traveling nurses. That's, you know, gets talked about a lot. There's people who are doing corporate relocations, sports, you know, big sports venues, although that's a a harder one to find where you're going to be. It's going to be hard in my mind to find a hidden market there. Mm -hmm. But you just need to think beyond the traditional vacation market and think, where are the places where people are coming in and out of, and especially as families, right? Because that is going to serve uh, a niche beyond hotels, right? A couple, uh, husband and wife with no kids can very easily go and stay at a Holiday Inn Express, right? No problem. I can say somebody who's traveling with a multi-generation family. We travel a lot with my in-laws. Now we're talking five people. We're talking four adults and one child. There are very few hotels are going to cater well to you not yet i mean that maybe that's going to come up they're maybe going to make that adjustment that's the reason that short-term rentals are becoming such a big deal is because it's a lot easier for us to find a three-bedroom two-bath house somewhere Mm -hmm. where we want to you know vacation together than it is for us to go and get two separate hotel rooms and have our kids sleeping on a pull-out couch
0: yep i mean it's places that you would never expect it to be hospitals hospitals that have specialties, children's hospitals and things like that, penitentiaries. I mean, it's a weird thing to think about and it's up to you if that's the clientele that you want. But I mean, people where people are coming, they're coming to visit for some reason and they're in and out, it makes more sense for them to have a house than a hotel. Or maybe there's not a strong hotel lobby around there or something like that. And yeah, things like that. Run the numbers and look at it. Look for something weird that other people aren't doing. Be the first one to do it and do it well. And nobody else will be able to catch up. Yeah.
1: Okay, that was my good friend, Mr. Clint Harris from Salt and Soul Property Management. It's always great talking to Clint. Now I live around the corner from him, so I can do it almost every day, although we are both pretty busy. Key lesson learned for me, I would say... It's twofold. One, check out the book, Who Not How. If you're someone who's struggling to move any sort of project forward, whether it be publishing your first book or starting a a short term rental business, sit down with yourself and ask yourself Would I be better served by focusing on finding someone who can do what I can't currently do rather than me sitting down and slogging through learning? how to do it. So that's basically what the book who not how is about. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have to do work, but <clears throat> I'll use my good friend, Michael Burnell as an example. Michael wrote a, a book, a fiction book, and he's had that book done for a while. And one of the things that was holding him back was creating a nice cover for it. And it's a sort of sci-fi fantasy novel, superheroes and things like that. And he's not an artist, He's very talented. He's not a visual artist. And I think I was the one that mentioned it to him in the book, Who Not How. I was like, well, Michael, why are you working so hard trying to figure out how to create a cover for this book? Just hire somebody. There's people who do that. And you'd be surprised how little it costs. I think that's a, a, a lesson that Clint learned very early on, which is he recognized what he wasn't good at. And rather than trying to slog through and learn how to do the things that he was already not very good at and maybe didn't have a passion for either, he should maybe find somebody who's good at that and who really likes doing it. And in his case, that turned out to be their property manager, their sort of operations director. I'm suddenly blanking on her name, my apologies. The other lesson learned, I would say, has to do with building cleaning teams. This is a review based business and you are going to be largely rated based on how clean your properties are, how, how nice they look. So those cleaning teams are like probably 80% of the business at least. So if you don't have that dialed in, you're going to get in trouble in a real hurry. And so Clint talked about where they started off, they were quick to hire and slow to fire and they had to reverse that thinking and they had to become slow to hire and quick to fire they had to build teams of people, not just a couple of cleaners. Once you start to scale, he he talks about it does get easier, but in the beginning, you're running up against a problem of you need a lot of cleaners, but you're going to have a tough time keeping them busy. And they finally kind of hit that sweet spot where they have enough units and enough uh, cleaning teams that they're able to keep them busy pay them what they're worth, and not overwork them, but also not underwork them. Uh, And that's been a challenge that we've seen, uh, especially right now in COVID. People are really having tough times finding good help. Uh, And I've reached out to some cleaning companies, and several of them have told me, we're not going to be doing any cleanings until the summer, because that's when our staff comes on. Well, that doesn't work for me. We're going to be a year-round business. We need somebody who's going to be cleaning through the low season. There's a lot of a lot of companies that that don't have enough business to keep their staff busy through the lulls, and that was that's basically it. This was a little bit different episode than how we've normally done. As I said, this is going to be a this is a two parter. In the second part of our interview with Clint, which will come out next week, we're going to talk about how he's pivoted into self-storage along with me in order to diversify his income and guard against some of the, the shocks and downturns of the short-term rental industry and specifically investing in a coastal market with hurricanes and things like that. So once again, next week, we're going to talk with Clint Harris again about self-storage and, and all the things that he and I have got going on there. So keep an eye out for that. So until next time, we're doing this all again next week. Let's hit the road. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should do differently. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again on the next episode of The Road to Family Freedom. Safe travels.